Hello, my wonderful friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, guess what? This is episode number 60, and uh, today is week one of our 11-part series called Setting the Bible Free. And today's episode is kind of an intro episode, and uh, it is entitled, The Bible Has Been Hijacked, Let's Set It Free. But before we get into all of the uh, all of the the heresy. Uh, let's throw out uh, a reminder, one reminder, and uh, two announcements. Or not, yes, one reminder, two announcements. That's, that's what I wanted to say. Uh, so number one, the reminder. <laughs> what am I talking about? Number one, the announcement. Uh, we have new hoodies for the fall. Uh, new hoodies and a new t-shirt. Uh, the Love Wins hoodie and the Love Everybody t-shirt, uh, both designed by uh, my very limited graphics design abilities, uh, but I think they came out pretty cool, so you can check them out. I'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, I work with Bonfire to make uh, the shirts and stuff, and so the way Bonfire works, just so you know, is if five orders are placed, then the shirts or hoodies or whatever get printed, and they get mailed out next week. Uh, so we need five people to buy one in order for them to get printed. Uh, I am going to be buying one hoodie. And so if you would like a hoodie, uh, we need to get four more hoodies sold, and then they will get printed, and then we'll get shipped. Um, if only four people end up uh, making a purchase for a hoodie, and the fifth one doesn't happen, uh, you and I will get our money back at the end of the week, and I will try again at a later date uh, to see if more people would like to buy it. But that's the way Bonfire works. I don't know why. There's other companies out there uh, that do it differently. Uh, but Bonfire, for me, with my limited time, uh, makes it very easy to upload graphics, design the shirts, hit go, and you know, you're know you good to go. So we might experiment with other ones down the road, but for now, uh, Bonfire is the way to go. Uh, number two, which is a reminder, is our Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject. If this, uh, if this podcast has inspired you, encouraged you, uh, challenged you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, head over there and check out the different uh, ways that you can give and that you can support the show. So there are uh, a few different levels or different tiers of giving, everywhere from $3 a month, which is like a, literally a cup of coffee a month, uh, all the way up to $30 a month. And uh, each tier has its own reward. So if you give a certain amount of money on that tier, uh, you get a reward uh, in return. So it's pretty cool. Uh, check it out, uh, patreon.com slash if. Project Right now we have 15 people who are uh, patrons, and thank you if you are listening to this. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, your support and uh, your love and your encouragement for me and for the show means the world to me, so uh, thank you so much. And lastly, last announcement or reminder, I'm getting my announcements and reminders confused. The last thing I want to say, how about that, uh, before we jump into the the bulk of the episode is uh, the What If Project community, which is a closed Facebook group. And uh, it's a really cool place. I didn't really know what was going to happen when we started it. I just kind of started it on a whim. I thought, oh, this might be kind of cool. Maybe some people will sign in and we'll have some good dialogue. But we have about 90 people in there now. And uh, every day there's new discussion. There's new dialogue. There's new ideas that people are bringing up. And really, it's just a safe place for people to explore their faith and the questions that they have about God. Um, a lot of times, 
for those of us in a season of deconstruction and reconstruction and feeling like we're in this wilderness place where we don't know what we're doing or what's going on, uh, it can feel lonely because you don't know where to bring your questions. Uh, so the What If Project community is kind of like your safe place to bring your questions, to ask your questions, and to get support and encouragement along the way on your journey. Uh, it's really cool. Lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different ideas, and uh, everybody is getting along. Imagine that. Uh, so go check it out. A link will be in the show notes, the What If Project community. So uh, let's jump into this thing. Uh, let's get into the kind of the bulk of our episode today. Uh, like I said, we are jumping into an 11-part series called Setting the Bible Free. And I want to do something today that that I don't normally that I don't normally do. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the series uh, and what it's going to entail and the meaning behind the title, which I always do that kind of stuff. But then I want to tell you what to expect in each episode going forward um, over the next eleven weeks. So kind of like a sneak peek uh, to the topics, uh, the guests, and uh, all of the things surrounding uh, setting the Bible free. Now, obviously, plans change. Uh, there's lots of times when I plan a series like this and I have it all ironed out, but then like an interview with a guest gets moved to another week or the spirit might bring something to my mind that I may want to explore more deeply on a week where I already had something planned. So although I'm going to pull back the curtain and give you kind of like a sneak peek into the future of the next uh, 10 episodes, because this is episode one, we'll have 10 more after this, uh, we'll say that the sneak peek is kind of tentative at best, I guess. You know, it's like it's not set in stone. It's not concrete. It it might and most likely will change. Uh, so, so yeah. So let's start with the title, uh, Setting the Bible Free. What is that? Uh, what does that mean? Uh, well, here's the story. A while back, um, I put my Bible down for a good six months, and uh, I did not pick it up to read it once. I think I picked it up once to blow the dust off of it, literally, because we were dusting at my desk. But that's about it. Um, and I'll let, if you're one of my evangelical friends, I'll give you a moment to pick yourself up off the ground. Uh, but it's going to be okay, uh, really. But in all seriousness, uh, that, that was odd for me, to be honest. And it was it was really odd for, for two reasons, at least two reasons. Uh, first of all, in the time when I did this, I was nearing the end of the doctoral program that I was in. Uh, at Alliance Theological Seminary. And so like choosing to put my Bible down for a time when I would normally throw myself into it as I moved closer and closer to my dissertation defense, that was really bizarre for me. Like in the past, prior to big exams, uh, big presentations, I was like sure to immerse myself in the Bible every day, multiple times a day in an effort to hear God's voice. And so entering that season of my life without my head buried in my Bible uh, felt very strange and, to be honest, like very disorienting to me. But more than that, uh, secondly, it was odd for me because I, I grew up with my Bible like attached to my hip. And uh, I've said this in other episodes, but uh, I've been reading the Bible uh, and studying the Bible consistently since I was in like the fourth grade. Uh, my, my mom bought me this, I remember this white uh, Precious Moments Bible, which is, which is actually uh, right here on my desk in front of me uh, as we make our way through this this uh, this series together. And I would sit and I would read this Bible like every night. And I had a sketch pad and I would draw the Precious Moments characters that were in the Bible in my sketchbook. 
as I thought about the stories and uh, I would thank God for them. It was almost like my little way of, of praying um, to God. Uh, like, I love the Bible and I love that Bible. Uh, it came in a special uh, like white box that I, that I kept it in and I don't have that anymore, but I used to keep it in the box. And sometimes I even slept with this Bible under my pillow. And, and whenever I read it or I looked at it or I held it, I don't know, like I just felt this strange, I don't know how to describe it, like this strange connection to something bigger than myself. And in the, and in a world that I was living in that sometimes felt very unsafe, uh, that connection to something bigger than me made me feel very safe. And so I, that Bible was with me like all the time. And, and then I remember that just reading the stories like wasn't really good enough or, or satisfying enough anymore. And so I remember I asked my mom uh, for a highlighter so that I could read through the story of like, for example, Noah's Ark, and I could highlight uh, the verses that stuck out to me or the verses that brought up questions in my head. So in the fourth grade, I would highlight and then when I hit middle school, I actually began to underline verses with a with a pen or, or with a pencil. And then in high school, uh, still using my Precious Moments Bible um, on occasion, uh, I would write notes in a small spiral notebook that probably admittingly should have been used for school, but I, I had a, a little notebook reserved just for my own Bible reading. Um, in the 11th grade, I remember I got an NIV study Bible. And I thought my brain was going to explode with excitement. I didn't know that these kinds of things existed. I remember, I remember the day like it was yesterday. Uh, the Bible, that Bible was actually right here as well on my desk. I still use it a lot. And I remember it clearly. Uh, it was like early in the summer. And my mom had bought me um, a net to put in our front yard so I could practice my golf swing. And uh, she also bought me uh, this leather-bound, black leather-bound NIV Bible uh, from the local Christian bookstore. And so all summer long, I would practice my golf swing in the evening, uh, into the early evening hours, and then I would read my Bible in front of the TV um, as I watched the Yankee game later that night. So for me, like that was <laughs> that was my idea of a good time. Um, it still is, even back then. Uh, you know, complete complete nerd. Uh, but again, I highlighted, I underlined, uh, I took notes, I wrote in the margins, I read all the study notes. And, and then I soon got into reading like commentaries and other books about the Bible. I remember uh, when I was in the 12th grade, we were in a, a Christian bookstore getting my, I think like my grandma or somebody like a birthday card. And I saw this thick commentary by a guy named Matthew Henry. And it just caught my eye. It was like soup, like double the size of my Bible. And it was on sale for like $10. And I was like, mom, I need to have this in my life. And, and she bought it for me. And, uh, and I devoured it. And uh, after I graduated high school, I went to Bible college, and then to seminary, uh, then to pastor a church, then back to seminary. And in the midst of all of those seasons of life, uh, I kept reading my Bible. I kept reading it, uh, more books about the Bible, uh, built relationships with professors and pastors who dialogued with me about the Bible. And, and so, yeah, let's just say that when I put my Bible down for six months, that was a big, big deal for me. Like I've been reading it for the last 27 years or so of my life. And literally, I don't think I've ever gone a day without picking it up and thumbing through the pages. Even as a kid, like in the fifth grade, when we went on vacation, I remember bringing my Bible with me. But, but, but like, I don't know. I just felt at this time in this season of my life, like I had to put it down. 
And I felt like I had to put it down because, because for me, it had a lot of baggage attached to it. And it was like a lot of baggage that I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't shake. Like baggage, I don't think it was meant to carry. Uh, baggage that made it feel like it was chained down, made to feel like something that it wasn't. Uh, baggage that prevented it from being uh, what it was always meant to be. So what kind of baggage, maybe you're asking, like, what is this, what is this, nut, what is this nutcase talking about? Uh, we'll talk a lot about the baggage throughout the course of the series, but the biggest thing I began to recognize is the obsession that we have in the church with using the Bible like a lawyer. Like, I felt like as if I was at this point in my life where I couldn't read the Bible apart from the lens of reading it uh, to file verses and passages away uh, in like my mental folder of various arguments that I wanted to win. So, so let me explain that. I remember when I was a kid, uh, a family friend of ours was a lawyer. And uh, one day I was in his office admiring the shelves and shelves and shelves of these beautiful, shiny, maroon, black, and like olive, tan colored leather books. And I remember saying to him like, what are all these books? books for? Like, do you read all these books? This is amazing, right? Like, I, I love books, even when I was a kid. So I'm like, this is incredible. Maybe, maybe I want to be a lawyer someday so I can have all these books. So I'm like, what are these books for? And he explained that when a client came in with a problem and asked him to defend her or advocate for him, uh, he would comb through all of those books looking for old cases that might help him better argue in favor of his client and win the case for his client. So like maybe a case from 1978 would somehow tie into a case from 1965, which would look similar to a case from 1995. And then that would give him the ability to build a strong case for his client in like 1998 or whatever year it was. And looking back on that now, I'm like, shoot, like, isn't that how we often use the Bible? Don't we try to argue a particular position on a particular issue like LGBTQ inclusion or exclusion, I should say, uh, by looking at a verse from Leviticus that somehow ties into a verse from Romans that maybe looks similar to a verse in Corinthians, and then we tie it all into the, the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis to build a strong case for why LGBTQ people in 2019 should be outcast and made to feel insignificant. For lack of a better word, we weaponize the Bible, right? We pull from here, there, and everywhere in an effort to build a case for our position on a certain topic and then often end up leaving a sea of hurt feelings in our wake, not really caring who we mow over or how we make them feel, and we justify all under the umbrella of I'm just speaking the truth in love, right? This is how I grew up using the Bible. I mean, yeah, I, I believe that God spoke to me through it. I believe that its main message uh, was love. But more than that, I saw it as my guidebook for my life. I saw it as this unquestionable word of God that was meant to be taken 100% literally, never crossed, never looked at outside of my evangelical perspective that I was raised in. Read it, study it, know it, and fire it at anybody who dares cross it. Now, that's like a, that is a ridiculous amount of, of baggage, right? To attach to a beautiful book that was written over the course of thousands of years by various people from various places, all going through varying circumstances. Baggage that I think locks it down 
uh, change it up and prevent it from being the inspiring collection of life-altering writings that it is. And not only that, but this kind of thinking, I think, created another heavy bag that I realized I was carrying. Um, A giant bag of what I might call uh, dichotomies that didn't exist or didn't seem to exist in the mind of Jesus. Uh, Now, the dictionary defines a dichotomy as a division or contrast between two things that are or are represented as being opposed or entirely different from one another. So a dichotomy, in other words, is like an us versus them mentality, where people are placed on different sides uh, of different issues with very little hope of ever being unified or meeting anywhere close to the middle. So when we weaponize the Bible, right, and and we use it like a lawyer who's trying to build a case, uh, we're always building our case against the other, right, the other side, the other point of view, uh, the other perspective, the other side of the dichotomy, right? Weaponizing the Bible like like this causes us to be to be people, I think, who are known more for what we're against than what or who we're for, right? And I think that that's a problem. Because yeah, although Jesus at times went toe-to-toe with the Pharisees on issues of the law and the way that they were treating um, people who they outcasted and labeled as sinners— Jesus ultimately sought to bring unity, harmony, and peace to the world. I don't think he challenged the Pharisees as if they were like the opposing team, like they're those other guys over there. But instead, I've always looked at it like he challenged the Pharisees as if they were players on his own team, but who were slacking, not carrying their own weight, uh, and operating in ways that weakened the team. He was not to create deeper dichotomies, generate greater divisions and create opposing teams, but to bring opposing sides together into one, right? He bridged gaps. He healed divides. He brought the outside people in. And so I guess I began to see that the way I was using my Bible, I was kind of causing me to think and even live in ways that were built around these dichotomies in ways that I think were contrary to the ways that Jesus lived. And then all of that made me realize I had yet another bag that I was attaching to my Bible. Now, whenever I came to building my case against people who believed or thought differently than me, I usually pulled my, my verses, my, you know, my weapons from places like the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible, uh, the prophets, uh, the letters of Paul, and sometimes even, you know, the book of Revelation. I, I looked to see what guys like Paul, John, Moses, Elijah had to say, you know, the, the big guns of scripture, And very rarely did I ever bring up the words of Jesus or the stories of Jesus in my conversations or my arguments. And the more I thought about that, the more my spirit was actually feeling very uncomfortable. And the more I realized that I had been taught that sometimes, sometimes at a conscious level, but a lot of times at a subconscious level, that like the stories and words of Jesus are the stuff for young, less experienced Christians. While the words of guys like Paul and the prophets, that's for more mature Christians. Like, Jesus is the kid stuff. Paul is the adult stuff. And so I'd often find myself combing through, like, Romans and search for these deep theological ideas to prove my points and sifting through the the prophets to find strong uh, words that could be used against those who thought differently than me. And I would find them. I would string them together like a lawyer. And I would fire them at people who held thoughts about God and theology that were different than mine that I thought were, quote, heretical. 
And I would almost always win the battle because I knew my Bible so well. Uh, the other person would, would either give up or end up seeing things the way that I saw them because I held their head under like this sea of Bible verses uh, that I gave them until they could no longer breathe or survive on whatever idea they held prior to our discussion. Uh, I, I read stories of Jesus, I guess you could say through the thick lens of Paul and the prophets, and often came away with strong theologies that were built on the pride of you know, being right, calling out other people on their sins and their shortcomings. Instead of reading Paul and the prophets through the lens of Jesus and coming away with a theology of love and grace and inclusion. That's backwards, right? Like, man, that is so backwards. And so I remember one day prior to putting down my Bible for those six months that I was reading uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I remember I thought to myself, isn't, isn't this the way like we're supposed to be? Like what, what he's saying in the sermon, isn't this like what it's supposed to be like? Like, aren't we supposed to be humble and meek and, and gentle? Aren't we supposed to be forgiving? Aren't we supposed to embrace the prodigal, eat with the outcast? And why don't I do that? Like, why isn't my heart hungry for that kind of stuff? And more than that, when I read my Bible, why don't I come away wanting to do more of those things and less of the arguing, less of the bickering, less of the puffing out my chest and my shining pride of, of being right, right? Like, why, why is this happening? And that really shook me up. And so I decided to put my Bible down for six months. And I remember putting it down and thinking, I don't know when I'm going to pick you up again, Bible, <laughs> right? But you and I, we need a break. And I don't need a break from you as much as you need a break from me. Because you, my Bible, you deserve better than to be used and abused and weaponized to prove my stances on various topics that leave people feeling hurt and shamed and outcasted in a wake of my pride and my ego and my love of being right. And maybe you've never been there before, and that's cool. But like, that's where I was. I was at this place when I could no longer open my Bible and read a verse without using it to build a case, manipulating it to support my side of the dichotomy that I had built, or filtering it through a lens of a biblical heroes uh, like Paul or the prophets or whatever, whose strong speech like often is often misunderstood and misapplied when taken out of the original context. I guess you could say that the more I read and the more I realized that Paul and the prophets were becoming more important to me than Jesus. And, and that caused my spirit like within me and the spirit around me just to scream like, stop, what are you doing? And so I did for six months. And sometimes people ask me like why I picked my Bible up again. Or like how I knew that I was ready. I don't know, really. You know, but I remember for a good five months, I felt really guilty for not reading it. And the guilt was was suffocating. And sometimes it made me think about picking it up again just to read it. Like maybe do a Bible reading plan or something just to read it a little bit. Like, you know, like what in the world would people think if they knew that I, I'm not reading my Bible, right? Like what what are my professors going to think? My my family, my my friends. But I always stopped when I went to pick it back up again over those six months because I thought to myself, I don't want to pick this up because I feel like I have to. But when I pick it up again, I want to pick it up because I, I want to. And and one day I woke up and I remember I had this urge to read it. Like I didn't feel like I had to. I didn't really care if I read it or not, but I really, really wanted to. And I had the, the urge to read uh, the Gospel of John. Not Paul, not the prophets, not Revelation. I wanted to read John's mysterious thoughts in John chapter 1 about, about Jesus, about the Word, the Logos. 
And so I opened it up and I started reading John 1.1. And I tell you, like, everything was different for me when I started reading it. It just felt different. I didn't feel like a lawyer anymore. I didn't care about taking verses and building my arguments and filing it away. It just felt different. And so my hope in this series is that I can show you some of the things that changed for me. And I say some of the things because not only can't I explain everything to you, but most things are still changing. Most things are still evolving for me. And so although I'll share like some of my learns and some of my, my findings, I'm also going to give some examples of how my ideas about some well-known Bible verses and stories have changed as a result of my learns and my findings. Like, for example, you know, does John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Does that mean that Jesus is the only way to heaven? As many of us have been told it means. In that verse, was Jesus declaring that all religions are false? And can we make the argument that he was saying that when, when the verses beforehand and afterwards mention nothing about other religions, nothing about who was right and who was wrong? Or how about John 3.16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Does that mean that you need to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, and if you don't, you go to hell? Does eternal life mean heaven? Does perish mean hell? Or is that a giant assumption that is a, a rather gross misinterpretation that makes those words carry a load of baggage that they're not meant to carry? Or how about Paul's word, that all scriptures God breathed? Is that an argument for the Bible being the, quote, word of God that is infallible and inerrant? Is Paul referring to the Bible? Because many say that he was, but if we argue that he was, then that means that he was referring to the letter that he was writing to Timothy, as well as the Gospels, Revelation, etc., that weren't even written at the time that Paul wrote those words, all as the word of God. Like, how could he declare books and letters that weren't even written yet to be the word of God? And does God breathe mean that it's infallible? Because last I checked, Genesis said that humanity is God-breathed as well. And I would say that we are pretty fallible and pretty good at messing things up. And so my question is, why would the Bible be any different? Or how about the story of the prodigal son or Adam and Eve? Over the next 10 weeks, uh, we're going to talk about a, lot, a whole lot of things. Um, I'll have two more solo episodes like this. Where it'll be just you and me chatting like today. Um, and in those episodes, I'll choose a few verses or maybe a story from the Bible, and we'll look at it from a different perspective uh, that came about for me over the six months that I put my Bible down to give it a break from my uh, poor attitude. Uh, and then for the other seven episodes, I'm going to bring on an author or a teacher or a pastor or a professor uh, to talk to us about some idea from the Bible, maybe a doctrine like inerrancy, uh, maybe a story about how the, the Bible was, was formed. Uh, maybe a book of the Bible or a section like the prophets or the Torah. And I'll ask them questions. I'll pick their brain. And I'll maybe even ask them to help me with some particular issues surrounding the Bible that I'm wrestling with in my own personal life. And so um, it's going to be it's gonna be really, really cool. And also, if you're in our, in our closed Facebook group, and I'll put that link again in the show notes, I, I might even ask what questions you have for the guest and then try to weave some of those questions into our discussion. So uh, it's going to be great. And uh, all that to say, real quick, um, as promised, I want to give you the uh, kind of the potential lineup for the next 10 weeks going forward. Uh, week one today, right, is the intro. Uh, week two, next week, 
We'll talk to uh, Rabbi Nahum Ward-Lev, who wrote a a wonderful book called The Liberating Path of the Hebrew Prophets, where he discusses what a prophet is, uh, what a prophet is not, and uh, what it looks like to be a prophet today. So that's going to be really cool. Uh, Week three will be another solo episode like this. Uh, Not sure what we're going to talk about yet, but maybe the story of Nicodemus, uh, maybe a little bit about Jesus' baptism. I've got a few ideas burning in my head, so we'll see where where it goes. Uh, Week four, we're going to talk to Keith Giles, who wrote a book called Jesus Unbound, uh, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, where he drives home this idea uh, that the Bible is not the Word of God, and how that's a title that the Bible itself reserves only for Christ. So interesting stuff there. Week five, we'll talk to my philosophy professor from college, uh, Dr. James Danaher, who's going to talk to us about the Sermon on the Mount. He is a repeat guest. Uh, Another repeat guest in week six, we'll have Thomas Ord on the talk to us um, about his book that he helped put together called Rethinking the Bible. Uh, He's a a theologian and has some really super great insights to share. He was on earlier in the year, talked to us about his most recent book called God Can't. Uh, Week seven, we'll talk to my Old Testament professor from seminary, Dr. Chris Dost, uh, about his book, Jesus's Bible. Uh, He's going to talk to us about the Old Testament and uh, how to read the Old Testament well, and he's really going to push back on some of our more traditional ways of reading and thinking about the Bible, so get ready for that. Uh, Week 8, we'll be talking to uh, Bushi. I don't know uh, if I'm saying his last name right. I have to get that right before we hit week 8, but uh, Damashi, who is a Christian Buddhist, Uh, and he's going to be talking to us about his story and what it's like to read the Bible through the lens of a Buddhist, and what he's learned about Christianity and the Bible from his experience with Buddhism. So that's going to be wild stuff. Uh, Week 9, we'll be talking to Austin Hartke, uh, who is a transgender Christian theologian. Uh, He's going to be talking to us about uh, reading the Bible through the lens of a transgender person. And then in week 10, we'll be talking to uh, one of my new friends uh, who I met on Facebook. His name is Matthew Reeves. And he's a student uh, at Yale University. He's got a new book coming out called Saying No to God. And that's going to be some wild stuff. And then we'll close out the whole thing uh, in episode 11. Uh, Episode 10 is the last guest. Episode 11, uh, I'll close out with a solo episode and uh, tie some things together uh, for us and probably talk about a passage of the Bible that I've come to understand again differently and uh, think about it in a way that is drastically different than how I was taught to think about it. So uh, anyway, there you go. There you have it. Uh, over these next 10 weeks, we'll be talking uh, about a lot of things, taking aim at kind of setting the Bible free from these false expectations that often cage it, uh, clip its wings, and jam it into our little theological boxes. So I don't know about you, but I'm pretty pumped. Uh, this is going to be this is going to be fun stuff. Uh, some people, one last thing, some people think that all this talk about the Bible kind of magnifies uh, my lack of regard for the Bible. Uh, I've had some people say to me that um, I have no respect for the Bible. Uh, I'm treating it without care. I'm throwing it away. I'm deeming it as unimportant. That could not be any further from the truth. Like I said, I've been reading and studying this book for over 25 years. As a fourth grader, I slept with the thing under my pillow and highlighted my favorite verses. I love the Bible. However, to borrow a phrase from uh, Rob Bell, it's my belief that the Bible has been hijacked by the church, by certain uh, branches of the evangelical church to be exact, 
and forced to be something it was never meant to be. Right? It is not a rule book. It is not a guidebook. It is not God's love letter to you and to me. It's not a book of doctrine and systematic theology. It's not a weapon to be used to shame and ridicule and condemn people who live or think differently than you. But rather, it's this beautiful collection of some of the many writings that were written down by human beings and somehow mysteriously inspired by the spirit of the creator to show us all what it looks like to have a growing, changing, evolving relationship with the divine. The Bible has been hijacked. It has been forced, I think, to be something it's not meant to be. In this series, these next 10 weeks together, is my small attempt in my very small corner of the interwebs uh, to help set it free. I'm looking forward to it. I hope that you will be back next week. Tell your friends. We'll gather around together and we'll sit down with Rabbi Nahum Ward-Lev. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for dropping by. Have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.